As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Yeah, hello, everyone, and welcome to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and joining me on the podcast today are James Moore and Jack Pitt-Brook. We would say, of course, that uh, we're doing this on the morning where world events are dominating the news timelines. We understand that uh, there are bigger things going on in the world right now in Eastern Europe, obviously, than mere football matches. But you're tuning into this, so we'll press on as best we can, while all the time um, thinking about uh, the people in Ukraine. And I at least, uh, and I'm sure my two colleagues here, are sending out our, you know, our best for them, as well, best hopes is what we can do. Um, they say, lads, uh, welcome aboard, both of you, that uh, the, a week's a long time in football, but uh, it spurs every three days is a long time. And I think today we, we'll talk about the match in the second half of the podcast. We need to talk about Antonio Conte. Um, I'll start, if I may, with you, Jack, because you were there, and indeed it was your inflammatory question that set off his first Bizarre outburst after the game. Sorry, I, I'm uh, I, I'm judging his outburst as bizarre. So, I mean, this whole week is a bit of a reminder of that famous Arrigo Saki line, football is the most important of the least important things in the world. But focusing on the football itself, yesterday was bizarre, really, really strange. I genuinely haven't, can't remember a press conference like that from a manager. So, you know, you all know what happened in the game. Uh, about 40, probably maybe 40, 45 minutes after the game, uh, maybe an hour, Conte did his Zoom press conference. So we all sat in the in the press box at Turf Moor, getting the rains coming in sideways. Conte's face pops up on the Zoom. And I asked the first question, you know, a fairly gentle softball question, something like, what was your assessment of the game today, Antonio? And why did the team struggle to make space in the same way that you did so successfully against Manchester City on Saturday? I don't want to comment uh, the game. I want to comment uh, only the situation that uh, in the last five games we lost four four times. This is the reality. But no performance, uh, space, no space. Uh, the reality is this, that uh, uh, 
We lost four games the last five games. I think uh, no one deserves this type of situation. And uh, the club, me, the players, the fans, but this is the reality. I came in uh, to try to improve the situation in Tottenham, but uh, maybe maybe in this moment, uh, and uh, I don't know, but I'm not so good to improve the situation. And uh, uh, yeah, for me, it's very frustrating because I know that uh, we are working hard, we are working a lot, and uh, we are trying to get out the best of, uh, of single players. But the reality is this, and I think uh, I'm too honest to, to close my eyes and uh, to tell, okay, on Saturday we are going to play another, another, another game. So I think that it's right the moment to see well, which is the situation, and uh, to make assessment. Also, I repeat, and uh, I'm, really, I'm really frustrated and I'm not used to face with this type of situation. But the problem is that, uh, I repeat, I'm trying to do everything and uh, to change the situation, but the situation is not changing. Someone has to speak about uh, the race for the fourth place and uh, the reality that in the last five games and we have to pay attention and don't fight for the relegation zone. This is the truth. Eh? This is the reality. When happened this type of situation, maybe there is something wrong. I don't want to close my eyes and uh, I want to take my responsibility. If I have the responsibility and uh, I'm open uh, for, uh, for every decision because I want to help Tottenham. And for the first day that arrived here, I want to help uh, Tottenham. And uh, I repeat, I'm too honest to, to close my eyes and to continue in this way. And uh, yeah, also to take my salary, but it's not right in this moment. I mean, it sounded like he was, depending on how you interpret it, either threatening to quit or just throwing in the towel. I actually, I genuinely felt like he'd... Wow. He's, he, I, I, he sounded as if he'd given up. He also, I mean, I'm no body language expert, but he looked like, he looked whipped, didn't he? Is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah, he looked devastated. He looked, like, before he started, he sat back on his chair and took a deep breath and put his hands in his face. And I was thinking, God, I wonder what's going to happen now. But the thing is, like... This wasn't just a one-off, because before he did this Zoom press conference, he had to stand by on the pitch where he was getting soaked with rain and do TV interviews, you know, uh, various different TV interviews for different companies. And he said more or less the same thing. And to be fair, he also, um, uh, for radio, had done, uh, I think, very quick, early in the piece, uh, a piece with uh, Talk Sport, which uh, had gone every bit as, uh, as badly. And it, it ended with him saying... Um, Colleague Sam Matterface uh, said to him, "Will you be? Will you be when, I, when I'm going to Ellen Road on Saturday? Will you be there?" And he said, "I'm finished. I'm finished." To Sam, those are the exact words Sam has quoted him as saying. Now that could be that the interview was finished, or as he was getting on to the coach, "I'm not. You won't see me there, Ellen Road." Um, so this was This wasn't just a one-off outburst in, in, rea- in reaction to your question, James. I've got to ask you. You know, um, disappointing that the result was, and of course made all the more disappointed by so many Spurs fans predicting exactly this reaction to their tremendous uh, win at, at Manchester City. Um, I mean, in some ways, I want to ask you this question. What the hell is this bloke on about? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I've got to say, as disappointed and unsurprised as I was by that result, I didn't think the performance was so bad. It wasn't great. It didn't really... 
it, it was it was hardly like they were plumbing new depths, was it? I mean, the, the problems there were the same problems that we've seen before. There's a lack of creativity in a centre of midfield, and obviously this gaping chasm over to the right of the pitch where they haven't got a, a wide player who can really attack, or certainly not in the system that Conte wants to play. Uh, so, and you know, they kind of played okay. They created a few chances, and on on the day they didn't take them and conceded a goal from a set piece that perhaps was avoidable, but was hardly a calamity. You know, it was all very disappointing, but it was I, to me it, it didn't it didn't upset or annoy me as much as uh, uh, Wolves or Southampton yeah. did. You know, there was obviously the kind of standard sort of eye rolling at it being typical Spurs four days after beating Manchester City, but. I, I, it's, a, it's a dreadful result in terms of you know the chance of clawing away into the top four. I would say that pretty much does end that now. I'm almost glad that Charlie isn't on this one, Charlie <laughs> yeah, Eccleshare, mean... because he's he'd still be saying, I think Spurs are going to finish the top four. I don't, Charlie, I'll be honest with you. but uh... And I think it's probably easier now for us all just to come to terms with that and accept that's not going to happen. But I, I, look, I mean, Conte, we hear, has this elite mentality, a winning mentality that... Uh, Supposedly, no one else associated with the club has. So perhaps that's the difference. Perhaps that's why you and I are so ready to, uh, you know, <laughs> to throw in the towel. And he seemingly is absolutely heartbroken that that's not going to happen. Um, but we've been. I, I repeat my question. What What is he actually saying? I I've lost. Now he doesn't. He doesn't speak English as well as Stephen Fry. But you know, he's, he does. He he has some control of the language. Um, I can't work out whether he's saying. You know, he wants to. He he, he doesn't feel he can move the thing forward anymore, whether he wants to... What's he going to talk to the board about? We're not in the middle of a transfer window. What the hell are we going to talk to the board about? Yeah, I, re- yeah, I mean, I really can't fathom that. I, re- I really don't know what he's expecting to happen here. You know, we could say the same things about the interview he gave uh, with the Italian media last week, that we weren't really sure what was there to be gained from saying those things. And it's, it, it's in a similar vein, isn't it? We know he's an emotional guy, and I don't doubt that a lot of this is born from the fact that he just hates to lose football matches, which, you know, is fine. But as the kind of public-facing manager of a big football club, I don't really think this is the kind of behaviour... It's quite childish behaviour, really, isn't it? I've written down the word, is he just a big baby? This is babyish behaviour. He's in professional sport. Sometimes you get beaten. And if you're the head coach, it is often your responsibility. And you can talk about the situation... But you're putting out these teams that can't have no plan B. Can't, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go off the deep end about it because. Uh, but I, I also think this thing of saying, you know, I see his defenders about this saying, "Well, of course he's upset. He's a natural born winner. There is no such thing as a natural born winner. You train, you work, and you hope that in a competitive environment that will be enough to get you some success, and then you start again." Just because you were you won at Inter Milan or you won at Chelsea doesn't mean you're automatically going to be a born winner. This phrase "born winner," it's it's often said by ex-professional footballers who happen who happen to have been in a profession where you are paid way, way, way in advance of what your talent means to society, and so you think you're a born winner. You're not. You're a lucky git. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> do you get the impression, Jack? Because we have to get to this that he really is on the edge of walking away from this, leaving Spurs in the almost hilarious position of having five managers in less than a year. I would be surprised if he walks away in the immediate term. You know, I think it'll be that he's got his press conference on Friday, he's got Leeds United away on Saturday. I think it would be just utterly, utterly humiliating for him to walk away now when there's, there's still a third of the league season left. There's still got 14 league games left. 
in terms of being here next season, seeing him talk like this, it doesn't, you know, he is not projecting confidence about the future of his relationship with Tottenham. And I've always been of the view that, you know, Conte's continuance in this job would largely hinge on whether or not they can get fourth. Um, the less, now it feels less likely that they will get fourth. And with Conte saying things like this, suddenly the idea of the idea of Conte being there in August somehow feels slightly more distant now than it did yesterday afternoon. Um, is my honest opinion on that. Um, but I just don't. I, I mean, fundamentally, like factually, I just don't know. The, the thing is, it could all feel so different incredibly quickly, and we've seen how fast it we flipped one way and then the other over the last ten days or so. But. We know the Leeds game on Saturday. I think we can we can be fairly confident it's going to be an incredibly open game from the way Leeds play and the players they, they have missing. Mm-hmm. And I think in a game like that, I think we would all back Spurs to win, I think, wouldn't we? Yeah. You know, they conceded six last night to Liverpool. And Liverpool, obviously, are a fantastic side, a better side than Spurs, a much better side than Spurs now. But you would still look at that and think, OK, Spurs should be able to win there. It's a very different challenge to Burnley, who, we have to, we should be clear, have been in really good form, have hardly conceded any goals. You know, They lost 1-0 to Liverpool last week in a game where Liverpool were clinging on, really. And that, that easily could have gone, maybe not the other way, but they easily could have drawn. Sure. So that would be a very different game. If they win that game, then they go to Middlesbrough and win in the FA Cup. Suddenly you're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Everton at home. You know, on a Monday night, Frank Lampard, they've not looked great, really, certainly not especially consistent and not good defensively. So again, maybe you'd think, well, you'd back Spurs then as well. Suddenly your three wins on the bounce going to Old Trafford in a massive game. And we've seen how they lined up against City and how they could play in a big game where they need to sit and play on the counter. And then suddenly you look at it and think, well, maybe maybe they've got a chance in that game. It could, it could flip so quickly. And that, that, But I would say that's almost a bad thing that the whole momentum of the club, the whole mood can change so quickly. And that isn't just about Conte, by the way. That is about fans and, and us in the media as well. This is my point. I mean, look, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, set your watches, uh, whatever time you're listening to this podcast, there's James Moore being ultra positive uh, comparated, uh, in comparison to everybody else. But surely, James, I totally get that. We, the fans, are allowed to be slightly bipolar about it. Oh, my God, Spurs have lost. Oh, hooray, Spurs have won um, trebles all round. Is it is it okay for the manager to be like that? And is it okay for the manager to be doing that in public? I think it's very unhelpful for Conte to be like this. I think it it only it kind of it only exacerbates the very volatile mood in Spurs world for Conte to be, you know, for Conte to say this is the best group of players I've ever had on the Saturday night and then to say, well, you know, it's the same players, different managers every time, same results on the Wednesday night. I think I think one thing people, one point that I want to get across on Conte is that I think some of the time when he comes out with stuff, so for example, at the start of the transfer window when he was complaining about the club, I think at that point it was fair to interpret this as Conte's attempts to put pressure on Daniel Levy to cough up for Adama Traore or, whichever, or Frank Kessie or whichever other players he wants. But right now, like, you know, the trans- there's not a transfer window opening for months. There's tons of football to be played before the next transfer window. The idea that some sometimes you see people say, even after an occasion like this, are this clever tactics from clever politics from Conte. There's no political leverage to be had right now. The only political leverage to be had right now is by winning games. And so I think people overestimate the extent to which this is political and underestimate the extent to which it's emotional. Like, it's just a very emotional reaction. It's not like Conte's out playing some kind of 4D chess to outmaneuver Daniel Levy in Parliament, it's much more simple than that. Unless his aim is not any longer to improve the team, but just to get himself out of there with saving some face. 
Yeah. In which case you start to punch upwards, blame the board and hope they'll sack you. I do think a lot of it is not kind of expectations management, but also reputation management. Yeah. It's making sure that if, let's say, Conte walks in the summer, which I think is not something to be completely ruled out at this point, he can say, oh, well, yeah, Tottenham was tough, but it was a shambles, wasn't it? It was a complete mess when I went there and it's kind of, it's more or less the same as it was when I walked out. I mean, I'm really down on this behaviour. I've got to be honest. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. He must think we're dimwits then because that is transparent. And look, protecting your reputation in professional football, the way to do that is to win some football matches because you can be the best talker between games in the world. Certainly he's providing our colleagues in the press and wider media with fantastic copy. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to win some football matches. And I don't think it's enough with his reputation Nothing about his pay packet because you know he could work for free for all for all I know. Um, his reputation, uh, he, I don't, ex- I don't expect him to be trying to, to to improve the team instead of endlessly moaning about it. But that's the point, isn't it? I think if 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 this had come after say losing three games in three weeks to Chelsea as they did in January, then you could kind of see that he he might almost be able to get away with it because that's you know sure. He's saying Spurs can't can't match Chelsea. If they don't spend the money, they're never going to get to where Chelsea are, and that's where I want to be as a manager. And if that's not going to work, then I'm not going to be here. But if you don't beat, if you lose to uh, Wolves, Southampton, and Burnley in the space of ten days, even if you have beaten Man City in the middle of all that, I, and what does that say about you as a manager? If that's the point where you're saying, "Well, I can't do this," it reflects far worse on him than it does on Spurs. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. We're all in agreement about it, and of course the. The split, the chasm among Tottenham fans, and many of them, of course, are listening to this uh, world-rogering podcast, will be those who are absolutely dead set against uh, Daniel Levy and Enoch will say, well, he's just right. And the rest of us are going, well, hang on. Even if he is right, this is not a way to behave. And when you're supposed to be, whether you like it or not, you are the public face of the football club. Which takes me on to another question about this, and I've got some big ones, some little ones. This is a big one. Is he actually trying to cash in on the fact that there is anti-Levy feeling and growing anti-Enoch feeling around the club's support? Does he think he can he can ride that something? Is he setting up a showdown with Daniel Levy? Because that's what it looks like to me sometimes. I don't really see it that way. I just don't think he can... There's no point in him taking on Levy. I mean, Conte must know that, you know, Levy's been at Tottenham for 21 years. Um... Levy will be there, you know, whatever happens, Levy will be there long after Conte. I think that I think we can say that with some certainty. Um, so what would be the point in him challenging Levy? If he pushes, if he kind of tries to start hammering Levy in public and the board explicitly, I just think it will end for him even faster than it already would do. I mean... But isn't that what the situation, to use his exact word, is? Not necessarily, because I think you can interpret... you. I wondered if that was more to do with like the level of the players, the mindset of the players, the technical ability of the players, perhaps, rather than specific. Well, and you know, people might say, "Well, if Daniel Levy had spent more money, then maybe the, the players would be better," and maybe that is true. But I, my interpretation of that was that Conte, Conte was targeting the players rather than the boards. Although, you know, very open to interpretations on that one. I'll come back to 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 how Le- Daniel Levy will react to this. Just one little thing that's actually been worming away in my head um, from before the current crop of press conferences. You had the Italian interview 
And then you, in between, you've had the press conference preceding this match um, against Burnley. I, I, you, I don't know if you did it uh, for the Athletic Jack or not. Um, but in that, he was talking about the summer. And I can't quote the exact words, but you, you no doubt uh, you're looking about as I speak, Jack. And he said, and that's when myself and Harry Kane will decide what we have to do. That's none of his business. The only bit of his business there is to say we've got a brilliant striker, we must keep him. Yeah, I think it's... I actually wasn't on that press conference as it happens, mm. but it it is just a reminder of how everything at Tottenham just feels up in the air again. You know, there's no there's no clarity or certainty on what's a, what shape I suppose is going to be in next season, who's going to be in charge, what European competition will they be in, which players will be there, how much money will they spend in the summer, all this stuff. You know, but it's yet again it's been thrown back up into the air. But is that not an indication that maybe, and, and you know, it's easy to be wise after the event. And I don't think anyone on this podcast was anything other than massively enthusiastic about Conte when he took over. Sure. But is that not an indication that maybe it would have been better to have brought in a manager who had like a slightly longer term vision and would have given a sense that this is going to be the guy who's going to be in charge next season and the season after? We're building this type of team playing this style of football and moving in this direction with this type of players and, and everyone has a clear idea of what they're buying into and I don't want to compare Spurs to Arsenal but if you look at where Arsenal are with Arteta who obviously in terms of stature as a coach and a manager was way below where, where Conte was when he came into Spurs and Arsenal probably actually were in an even worse state probably than Spurs were when Conte came in in terms of the playing staff Arsenal seem to have moved in the right direction far more quickly or more steadily than Spurs look like they're likely to do without spending an absolute shed load of money, which I think we can all be realistic and say they won't in the summer. Yeah, I think that's a really, really, really good point. So I think Arsenal have more or less gone to what you might call the Pochettino model in the sense they've got a young manager with a clear vision of play. They backed, you know, he's in charge for the long term and he's allowed to get rid of the players that he doesn't like. The manager is more, at Arsenal now, the manager is more powerful than the players, um, which is kind of how it used to be at Tottenham back in the good old days under Pochettino. Whereas Tottenham have kind of gone for a budget version of the Chelsea model, which is we'll keep the same players every year. We'll get the, you know, we'll change, we'll get a new famous manager every year or so. Sometimes it will work, sometimes it won't. Hopefully, you know, if, if, enough, if the managers are good enough, then on a short-term basis, results will improve. There's no long-term planning and there's no identity. If, you, if, if that's how you operate, there's no real identity because you're changing the manager every year. And so I think in that sense, James is, I kind of half agree with James that they should have gone for something closer to the sort of Poch, Arteta type model back last summer and gone for somebody who could still be here in three or four years time, whether that's a Graham Potter or a Ten Hag or something like that. But there's kind of two problems with that. One is that they've got a 28-year-old Kane and a 29-year-old son who, Mm -hmm. to be honest, are going, you know, are a good reason to try to win now rather than to try to win in three or four years' time. And the other thing is that I think Daniel Levy likes the idea of Tottenham behaving like a big club. It, you know, he likes the idea of having a famous manager who could, who's won trophies and can go and pursue trophies quickly rather than trying to rebuild and maybe getting lost in mid- mid-table a bit. So I can kind of understand why they went win now, but obviously in hindsight, when win now doesn't work, you might as well have done, gone, gone for a rebuild. Can you bring in a manager, uh, quote unquote, elite mentality manager, you know, a win now manager like Conte and rebuild with someone like that? I'm not necessarily sure that you can. You're sort of seeing some of the same. I mean, maybe it's a bit unfair to say impatience, but actually, maybe it isn't from from the manager as we did under Mourinho, where it feels like 
there's broadly an acceptance among the fan base, and I think probably from the club, that this is going to take a bit of time, but possibly not from the manager, which does seem bizarre, really. I guess that's another reason why his his most recent uh, mutterings uh, have left me, um, A, bewildered, and B, uh, slightly angry. Not, a, not a, an emotion I like to feel about association football, but there it is. Uh, it has, because, again, if you're setting yourself up as an elite manager... Um, and he would regard himself being in the top four or five managers in the world, surely the situation at Tottenham was not unknown to him. He's not been been, uh, marched down the Tottenham high road at gunpoint to take this job. He's a volunteer. Um, And I don't understand. And, uh, you know, in a much lower level in the world, I've led teams when I was an editor. James, you lead a a large team. You, You can't just be forever saying that everyone on the team is rubbish and... Um, and I'm I'm great. It's just nonsense. I'm I, I, he, he's, it's all a bit a bit strange. How will Daniel Levy react to this, um, or will we get the usual inscrutable silence? Well, it's still only ten thirty in the morning. Yeah, but I'm not expect I'm not expecting Daniel Levy to go public on anything today. I don't think he's really said anything public for coming up to a year now um, about football. Not since DNA. No, not since DNA. No, I would imagine that Levy is pretty crestfallen that his big gambit of getting Conte, which I have to say is I, at the time I thought was a triumph. And in a sense, I still do. Yeah. Because Conte is still a great manager. I imagine he's pretty disappointed that it, it's not working. He probably thought this was the route, you know, the route back to relevance, the route back to the Champions League, the route back to being competitive at the top level. And they've lost four games out of five. And they're not going to get fourth, I'm afraid. Well, the managers talk about fighting relegation. Yeah, which which actually he needs to wind his neck in there a little bit, doesn't he? I mean, I, I, I get I get that he was probably so, that was maybe not tongue in cheek, but obviously a sort of exaggeration to prove a point. But I don't. Again, I mean, I think in the circumstances, that's just a bizarre thing to come out and say publicly, isn't it? When your team have lost three of the last four games and or for four of the last five games, clearly lacking a bit of confidence. Like to come out and say that, I just, just, what, what is the benefit of it? Nothing. What was striking to me is that, you know, Tottenham have been through the shit quite a lot in the last few years. You know, they've sacked Poch, they've sacked Nuno, they've sacked Jose, they've sacked Nuno. And yet, even at the end of those guys' regime, when, like, Tottenham were rubbish at the end of Pochettino, they were awful at the end of Mourinho. They hadn't won away for a year. And they were rubbish yeah. all, all, pretty much all the way through Nuno. And yet, in none of those cases did the manager come out and say anything like this. In none of those cases did the manager say, I'm not up to it, it's I, I it's broken, I can't fix it, maybe I should maybe I shouldn't be here. All this stuff is just completely new. I th- I was trying I was sat in my hotel room at two o'clock in the morning trying to write my article. And I just couldn't come up with any historical precedents. Exactly. So I'd be really curious if anyone's out there who can tweet to come up with an example of a time that a manager has come up with stuff like this. Because to me, it's just complete... This is new. This is completely new, all of this. I, I remember... It's entirely, it's entirely self-defeating. Like, what what benefit does that serve for Conte or for Spurs? I mean, even if you put Spurs aside, just for him. Like, you know, he walks into the dressing room today at the training ground. Like, what are those players going to think? None of them are going to be impressed by that in any way. No. Nope. They're either going to think... This guy's like lost control of his emotions, or this guy has. Or is he a quitter? Has, has, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's he's not got the 
he's not got the balls to see out the job. And it's obviously a difficult job. We know that. It's not like walking into Chelsea where you can spend more or less what you want no, to spend. But even, even Chelsea, they do, all jobs in English football are difficult. It's very competitive. Chelsea has its own problems, you know, because you know you've got 18 months before the revolving door spits you out. So he's not unique in that. And I don't share your optimism, um, if I might be so uh, be honest with you, uh, Jack, about you know what's going to happen weeks down the line. Um, and my suspicion is that there will be a showdown uh, before very long. We have no way of knowing that. Um, thank you for your views and all of that. Um, not many people are sticking up for the manager here. And as I say, I know that in the wider community of Spurs fans, those of you listening to The View from the Lane um, will be some of you just so anti-Enich and anti-Daniel Levy. And of course, you're perfectly entitled to that point of view after 14 trophyless years um, that you'll be saying, well, Antonio is only telling the truth. But sometimes the telling of the truth is not the most helpful thing that you can do. Of course, there's plenty more of this stuff uh, in The Athletic itself. Jack Pitbrook's uh, comprehensive breakdown of the Conti outburst is there, plus more coverage on that from Charlie Eccleshare as well. And to cheer yourself up, with uh, you could do, do worse than reading Charlie's statistical analysis of the story of Kane and Son in collaboration with the excellent Mark Carey from our numbers department. And right now, of course, don't forget, you can sign up for just £1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. When we come back, we'll have a little chat about the actual game because uh, Jack was there. I watched it on, uh, how can I put it? Um, on, on Television. A, <laughs> yeah, on television, yeah. Um, and we'll talk about what went wrong for Spurs um, and what it was that uh, so drove the manager um, nuts. Uh, in those interviews immediately after the game. You're listening to The View from the Lane. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Yeah. 
Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. Uh, the voices you're listening to are me, Danny Kelly, and James Moore and Jack Pitbrook from The Athletic. Um, we, we've kind of gone topsy-turvy in this podcast because normally we talk, speak about the game and then, and then it's wider ramifications where we talked about the fallout, the ramifications first. I, I do think it's worth talking about the game and I was interested that both of you, uh, while talking about Antonio Conte, uh, said he didn't think it was a terrible performance by Spurs. I didn't think it was a terrible performance, but what I... What really upset me, and maybe this was part of it with Conte, but he didn't say it, is that quite apart from the fact that if you were looking for a man at a match, and that's often illusory in team sport, and I would have, my own my own list went went Brownall, McNeil, Roberts, me, Tarkovsky, Veghorst before you get anywhere near a Spurs player. But quite apart from that, I got an impression sometimes that Burnley were more at it to use a footballism. They wanted it more. They wanted it more. Uh, I'm trying to avoid those cliches, but they appeared to me to to want it more, James. Yeah, which is strange off the back of that game on Saturday where it felt like, you know, it it was one of those results that would kind of really re-energise the season and and completely flip the whole thing on its head. But Spurs seemed to reverted to type uh, immediately from, you know, from the start of the game. We started the game. I mean, you know, you're... Famous theory is that Spurs end as they start a game. Uh, I started quite slowly and didn't really ever have a period in the game where they looked like they were kind of fizzing the ball around or looked especially dangerous. You know, they were supposed to the game where they had more of the ball, obviously, and supposed to the game where they kind of had half time. They looked like te- they had, they had ter- their territory, didn't they? Where yeah. they would have the ball, you know, in the early half. But I don't often think. I don't think they would have had Burnley especially worried too often. What was it? I think two shots on target and probably only about 10 shots through the game. And, I, you know, and like we were saying, it wasn't a bad performance. And on another day, they would have won that game 1 0. And I think probably more often than not, it would have just been a draw. Um, but if you don't if you don't raise it in a Premier League game against a team battling for their lives, and again, I know we're erring towards cliches again here, but, uh, you know, a, a team at the bottom of the league who have, have done well in the last few weeks and have got a lot to play for on a wet and windy. Midweek evening. But that's a that's a cliche only because it's true. From if you're managing the 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 Wasp and Bulldog on Hackney Marshes, or you're 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 in the Champions League final, everybody knows that if you don't match the oppo for at least effort, then you cannot win the football match. You just can't. I actually disagree with that in the sense that I thought Burnley Burnley pressed really really well in the first half. They were all over Tottenham. I thought they were incredibly well organised and they worked very hard. And Tottenham couldn't. I mean, Tottenham can get in at all. Like Tottenham had two half chances in the first half. One was Romero. The other one was Emerson Royale of all people cutting in on his weaker left foot and skewing the ball over the bar. But then the second half, Burnley that was took, identical to his efforts, but his stronger right yeah, foot. By the way, in the second half, Burnley couldn't press quite so much, and Tottenham just had to get a little bit more time on the ball. And there was that spell from about forty-five to sixty-five minutes where, like, I just thought they were going to get in, like Kane started coming deeper, started spraying passes out wide, Kulisewski obviously went out to right wing back, he whipped that shot kind of inches wide of the far post with his left foot. From the Kulisewski position, yeah. Yeah, and at that point I thought, ah, oh, they're going to, they're on top here, I think they're going to get in. Then of course they conceded the set piece. So in a set, I thought Burnley were perfect, but there was that window when I thought Tottenham might just do it, but kind of take a step back. It's kind of the, it's the same problems they've had all season. It's you know they're playing this three four they're playing this three four three system, they which is dependent on the wing backs. They've got Sessegnon, who's you know a talented kid who's low on confidence on the left. Royale, big questions about whether or not he's good enough in the final third. 
They've got no creativity through the middle of the pitch. They've got no playmaker, no 10. So they're, they're brilliant at doing what they did against City, which is kind of tempting the opposition forward and then passing the ball at high speed through the opposition lines. But if they haven't got, if it's not set up like that, it's like they can only play in that way. It's weird. If they're not set up like that, then they can't score. We saw, you know, they've been rubbish twice against Saints, rubbish against Wolves. They were rubbish at Watford and won in the last kick of the game. Like, they really struggle to score goals in games where they should score goals. But surely um, the born winner might have a plan B up his sleeve. <laughs> That's why I used to say about Mourinho. You know, what, if he's got all this winning mentality to go around, why not give, pass some of it on to his players so they win some games? But yeah, I don't know. I mean, what, you know, whether or not. To be fair, that that is that is not a, that is a, a, a flaw in the uh, elite level of managers in European football now. That is not unique to Antonio Conte. You know, Pep will only play one way. Klopp has slightly changed, but really Liverpool play one way, and you can work down through the top managers. They're all so convinced of their um, God-given brilliance that they, they they will not change their plans. I mean, I, I saw an exasperated. Um, tweets from you, James, saying, so this is the strategy, is it, to get the ball to Emerson Royal? That's the only strategy Spurs have. Well, I mean, I think that was actually someone replying to me, but yeah, it's true, oh, isn't sorry. it? sorry, beg your pardon. You know, they've scored 31 goals in 24 league matches this season from a team who ostensibly is supposed to be competing to qualify for the Champions League. And has had I mean, it's just on. way off. Yeah. yeah, you've got the best strike partnership supposedly in the history of the Premier League, certainly in terms of the numbers. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're two-thirds of the way through the season and they've scored 31 league goals between a lot of them. I mean, it's just way off where they need to be. And I don't think that's, you know, I- I'm sure some people would like to pretend that was all on Nuno or or down to recruitment. And those are both factors in that number. But it it hasn't improved vastly in the last four months, has it? I hate to say it because it's not his fault, but... I think teams are wise to the fact that you can let Emerson Royal have the ball and he's not going to hurt you. Yeah. You know, I've seen that a lot in the last few months. Well, that Watford game was the prime example. Watford. He must have crossed the ball about City, 25 times. Even, even yesterday, you know, McNeil didn't have to track him that much on his side compared to how much, say, Aaron Lennon on the opposite side was coming back to help. And there's just, there were, you know, there was just no quality there. And so maybe, you know, if you were, if you were going to be context sympathetic, which I'm not really, you could say, oh, you know, if only... Tottenham had bought him a Dharma Traore in January, then maybe Spurs would be better in the final third. I don't know. That's just a theory. But I mean, uh, that obviously is true. And I'm sure Conte would say that if he was being honest or as honest as he claims to be. But you are the manager of a Premier League club getting paid a lot of money to find solutions to problems. Yeah. And even if a solution is player back four and player winger rather than a defender wing back, then, then do that. Yeah, we haven't got the time to get into... Um, of course, if I had, you know, Hakimi on one side and, uh, you know, whoever else on the other, of course Cancelo. I could play a particular system. Exactly. I could play that exact system. Um, but you, you have to make the most and making the most of what you have is the critical thing. Um, I, I am going to ask you in a second about any positives, but one last uh, thing about the game. Um, again, I think, uh, Jack, it was your uh, laser-like uh, attention to detail. Um, what was Lucas Moura doing at the end of the game? Oh yeah, so on the final, at the final whistle, the two things I noticed. Well, first was Eric Dyer go over to the referee and have a long conversation with the referee, which I think was about a non-awarded penalty when Winks went into the box and went down. We saw that in slow motion. There was nothing in that. No, wait a second. It wasn't that. It was when I think Son got a shot away and was cleared out by a defender. 
trying to block the ball. And it was one of those things that's obvious, obviously it should be a foul, but is rarely given as a penalty. So I saw Dyer do that. Lucas, who looked very pissed off, went all the way out, just went straight back to the away dressing room, which is the opposite end of the pitch to the away end. Whereas Harry Kane was the first Spurs player over to the away end, and then the rest of the Spurs players, minus Lucas, uh, joined him straight after. So uh, uh, to thank the Spurs fans for coming all that way, because it what you know I have to say it is a long journey to Burnley in the pouring rain. It was very very wet and cold at Turf Moor yesterday. So hats off to the Spurs fans who travelled. So he was just fed up with not being in the starting eleven or whatever whatever was his issue there. Okay, fine. Um, now that now the comedy question to to finish off uh, uh, this most, I mean the, the contrast in this podcast and the previous one. Any positives to be taken out of the last few days at Tottenham Hotspur? Uh, I'll start with you, Jay, since you you managed to be slightly up for a little bit earlier. Um, I mean, oh, well, I would go back to that. I would say in, in a more open game, I think um, I think they still have a chance. I mean, that does obviously speak for a weakness, i.e., the lack of creativity uh, in terms of being able to kind of break down a packed defence. But yeah, in a more open game like against, like against Leeds, or as we expect that would be. I, I think they'll probably be okay. And then, you know, as we've seen, things can change. The mood can change very quickly. I mean, I would definitely say top four is gone. But um, uh, maybe they'll win at least one more game. How's that? You're just agreeing with the manager. Now it's about getting to the legendary 40 points. Well, I don't, I don't think they're going to get anywhere near the bottom three. Okay, I'll say that. I'll be more no. positive than him in that regard. But not when Watford are con- conceding four at home. Um, There's they, some pretty... Pretty average teams down there. Um, what about you, Jackie? Sometimes even through the, through the wind and the rain at Burnley, if you're at the game, you, you might see something positive from the last few days. Well, I was going to say no new injuries and suspensions, but then I was reminded of the fact that Benton Kerr went off at half-time. Uh, and obviously, you know, things being as they were after the game, we didn't get the chance to ask Conte why exactly that was uh, and what the situation is with him. So, but... As far as I know, no injuries to Lloris, Dyer, Romero, Son, Kane, you know, the, the key players. So in that sense, things could be worse. But yeah, pretty... Pr- pr- I mean, look, I actually enjoyed the trip and enjoyed the game. Well, at least you had a nice time, mate. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the, that's the main... <laughs> but... You had a better time than Charlie did when Charlie went up in November. Oh, what? And it was snowed off and he had to come back. Because yeah. of the snow. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, like, in, in, in a serious sense, no, I can't think of any positives. Thank you, and I think that's... And it look, uh, like, to be honest, I'm not going to bullshit. No, no, since we don't televise this podcast, I'll tell you that J- James Moore there was... Uh, he was hanging his head to one side in a very sad-looking affair. Listen, if you want to read uh, Jack's in-depth analysis of the game, Charlie's also got plenty to say about it as well at The Athletic. To read everything that's on all of our articles on Spurs as well as everything else on the site, you can subscribe today by simply visiting theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up for just £1 a month for a whole six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We'll be back uh, next Monday when another trip to the north may provide Spurs with further sturm and drag. Thanks for listening. Athletic.